Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us. John McClain will join us momentarily to talk NFL headlines across the Outkick Network. We are live at 6th and Peabody. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Not much of a game last night. It was a good finish for Monday Night Football, but other than that, bunker. I told you I wasn't going to be able to endure it, and I lived up to my, to my pledge. It was, a, it was a tough one, tough one to watch, uh, no doubt about it. R- Russell Wilson, um, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but when you have a, a quarterback, and we can discuss this with John McClain, who was so good for an organization for a long period of time, and then they get to the end of their time with that organization, which is clearly what we're seeing with Russell Wilson, I find it uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> I watch the Seahawks now, and I'm thinking, this offense is uncomfortably bad. It's just discombobulated, the whole thing. And, and didn't Russell he have Wilson a say in Shane Waldron becoming offensive coordinator? I don't know. It's not a very good offense. Well, it's not Russell Wilson's fault uh, that they're only throwing, they're, they're devising, they're coming, scheming up plays where DK Metcalf has his first catch in the fourth quarter last night. Um, that's malpractice. You're asking me, in my opinion, of that Seattle offense. John McClain joins us. You can follow him on Twitter, at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, congratulations to Baylor, your Baylor Bears, playing for the Big 12 title Sick. this upcoming weekend. Second Bears. How are you? I'm doing great. It's going to be hard for Baylor to beat Oklahoma State two times. This happened two years ago when they had to beat Oklahoma twice. They couldn't. So Baylor ended up in the Sugar Bowl. But I'm just glad that Dave Aranda is staying with a new contract for multi-million dollars more. And he deserves it based on how quick they've turned around that program. They were predicted to be eighth in the Big 12 this season after he won two games during the pandemic here. And people right now as you can imagine, are fired up. But if somebody wants to offer him ninety-five or hundred million, I'm sure he would take it. John, what should Oklahoma do now that Lincoln Riley left for USC? Boy, I, there's talk like uh, Notre Dame's going for Luke Fickle. I told Notre Dame friend of mine, you better be glad they don't go. Well, let's see what Irish Catholic coaches out there we could hire. Uh, Bill O'Brien. He's a good Catholic man. Uh, let's go get him at Alabama. And uh, I don't think that's going to happen as far as Oklahoma. You know they're going to want an offensive coach. They've got commits bailing on them big time, not to mention players entering the transfer portal. And I don't blame uh, blame them for doing that since Lincoln Riley's gone. It'll be interesting to see how many end up committing to USC. But uh, these coaches are getting – blasted but for that kind of money i don't know anybody who wouldn't leave their job for another one it is just obscene i know urban meyer is putting out word that uh no he's not interested in notre dame but 
I mean, if you put a guy and a job together out of all of these puzzle pieces, those would be a, a, a perfect fit, it seems like. A job he's talked about, I think, having dreamed of. You buying the lack of interest there, or you think he's saying what he's got to say? I think he's saying the truth. Uh, first of all, I think his wife was quoted a few years ago. He's talking about South Bend would be the dream job for them, but he's got a lot of money, total control with the Jaguars right now, franchise quarterback and Trevor Lawrence. He's been to college. He's done that. He's retired twice for health reasons. Everybody thought we wouldn't see him again except on Fox, and then all of a sudden he takes this offer from Shad Khan to come to Jacksonville be in charge of everything down to the pencils and pens. So I would doubt that he's ready to bail after one season, even though it's been a disaster. And they may, they're going to pick in the top three again, maybe first overall, because Jaguars are tied with the Texans for the second worst record behind the Lions. And I guess that would be pretty intriguing to him. And uh, But you never know if they offer him $100 million, maybe he'll take it. John, one more college question for you, because I know that you're going to have a strong and informed opinion on this. LSU just hired a 60-year-old coach in Brian Kelly. There's another 60-year-old head coach out there that's got a lot of experience, that's got a lot of experience at Oklahoma, and is an offensive-minded head coach. What do you think about Mike Leach for Oklahoma? Uh, Mike Leach, you know, Mike was in the uh, Big 12 a long time at Texas Tech, and He's a guy you've got to uh, be ready for the quirks of Mike Leach, and uh, he goes off the rails a lot, always has a great offense, always exciting, always controversial. I don't know if they would look to Leach this, at this point, but uh, you know he would like to have that job. So much easier to win in the Big 12 than it is the SEC. Texas A&M, Missouri, you're finding that out. And uh, I think one reason maybe Lincoln Riley bailed to go to USC in that rich Southern California recruiting area is because he knew it was going to be tougher to win in the SEC. And uh, so I don't blame him at all. If I'm a head coach, I'm trying to come to Oklahoma, premier program, chance to win. Texas is leaving, not that that matters because the Longhorns are no good. And uh, you got to come here, all you got to do is worry about Oklahoma State, Baylor sometimes. It's a little bit different than the SEC. So I would imagine there's a lot of young coaching candidates out there that OU could target. Don't know if they'll go after a big name or somebody like Riley who was promoted from offensive coordinator. John McClain with us talking NFL headlines on OutKick 360. John, uh, a week uh, a week from now, uh, next Monday night, we get Patriots at the Bills. But as as we sit here today and chat about Week 12 going into Week 13, are the Patriots the best team in the AFC right now? No, I think Kansas City is. If you got those teams playing against each other, who are you going to take? Patrick Mahomes or are you going to take Mac Jones? I'm writing a column for tomorrow, and I've got all these stats that I've compiled here. If you look at their schedules, and what's happened, Kansas City's four-game winning streak, they're giving up 11.7 points a game. Their defense is playing better than any time since I can remember it. And New England in its six-game winning streak, averaging 35.2 points a game. 
And right now, I believe New England is number one in point differential in the AFC. They play the Bills twice. And the schedules are, I'm looking at New England, they got at Buffalo, at Indy, then they come home against Buffalo, then Jacksonville at Miami. So, you know, right there, they could lose at Indy and they could lose at Buffalo and beat them. And they're still going to be in the playoffs, but I just don't see uh, Mac Jones. They're being very careful with him. I watched the highlights, short pass, long touchdown run by the receiver. He's doing really well for a rookie. He's going to win the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year award, and he deserves it. Bill Belichick, everybody's talking about, should be coach of the year. I saw one of the TV shows yesterday, them talking about that uh, Matt LaFleur ought to be coach of the year. Give me a break. Matt LaFleur's got Aaron Rodgers. My first two candidates would be Cliff Kingsbury, whose team has the best winning percentage in the NFL after finishing 8-8, eight and eight, and then Bill Belichick, who's doing maybe the best job of his career other than when Brady went down for the season and they went 11-5. and five. But Matt LaFleur, he's done a great job, but he got the best quarterback in the NFL. You know, the, the, and Paul, chime in on this too. I think that the one – the one area I would point to New England on being uh, getting dibs on the top spot, John, would be their consistency because there's a lack of consistency in that conference right now. And New England is the most consistent team. I'm not saying they're the best, but you know the type of game they're going to play game in and game out. Chiefs have won four in a row. That's pretty consistent. Not as consistent as six in a row, but Kansas City's defense is playing better than any time since Andy Reid has been there, and that includes Super Bowl appearances the last two years. Now, the odds are against them making three consecutive Super Bowls, but uh, I just, if they go to the Super Bowl with Mac Jones, I'll eat my words. I just don't see it with a rookie quarterback. But if anybody do it, maybe Bill Belichick. And Josh McDaniels right now, he's got to be the assistant coach of the year to me because he's done a tremendous job with Mac Jones. Yeah, I I have to kind of take myself out of it. I, I've got proximity bias, having just seen New England, um, you know, d- dismantle the Titans as the Titans ran for 270, John, which Hutton Research is the best running day anybody's had all year. It, it was tailor-made for the Titans to, to win up there, and, and, uh, and New England, you know, put it, put it out of contention pretty easily in the second half. It's amazing to me. You see a team run for that many yards, and still lose, not just lose a close one, but lose decisively. And there's a lot of credit. I didn't see the game, but I'm guessing their blockers did a hell of a job to have two backs play as well as they did. And uh, if they keep that up, they're not going to rush for 270 every game. But if they do a reasonable impersonation of Derrick Henry, this team will win. Right now, I mean, they're going to win the division. They got a three-game lead, counting the sweep of the Colts. And I was looking at the schedule. They get to play Houston. They still play Miami and Jacksonville. So I still believe what I said at the start of the season, they'll run away with the division. Indianapolis, uh, Everybody, nobody wants to play them right now because Jonathan Taylor is playing so well. But I still like the Titans. And near the end of the season, if they get A.J. Brown, Julio Jones back, they're going to be even more dangerous. John Baker Mayfield's having a real difficult time avoiding criticism from his teammates' parents. This time it's uh, Kareem Hunt Sr., uh, who is all over Facebook saying, just watch the film. Uh, He's scared to throw. 
He's hurt. But, John, I got to tell you, I'm watching Baker Mayfield, and he's not wrong. The guy is too injured to be playing. He's limping on the sideline. He's not himself. He was terrible on Sunday night. I mean, I don't think you should voice it on Facebook if you're a teammate's parent, but what Kareem Hunt Sr. is saying is correct at this point. How would Mr. Hunt like it if Baker Mayfield's daddy had done that <laughs> about his son dropkicking that girl on video oh. that got him suspended and cut by the Chiefs? He probably I don't blocked think he would have liked it. Yep. And I tell you this, I'm not for that at all. I, I would guess it would embarrass the player for your family to do it. Now, Odell Beckham Jr., that was a video. That was orchestrated. But this one's just frustrated for the dad. You know, I'd say, you know, number one, your son's been out injured a long time. Baker Mayfield's daddy could talk about that. In fact, he's been hurt a lot, too. And Mayfield's playing hurt. It's not his fault. It's the coach's fault. And uh, he was asked, I think, by Tony Grossi this week about replacing him with Case Keenum. And he's like, Stefanski looks at him and goes, well, why would I do that? Well, they just got beat 16 to 10, and they intercepted four Lamar Jackson passes. And they still couldn't win. And so maybe they'll see that. I admire Baker Mayfield. I saw him get that injury to his left shoulder in the second game of the season against Texas, trying to make a tackle on an interception. And he hasn't been the same since. But they didn't get their running game going. They didn't get their defense going. They just had those four interceptions. And I guess the defense is going to have to start scoring touchdowns. But the Browns were made for this time of year, crunch time in December and now two weeks of January, which you run, run, run some more and play great defense. Next up, I'm going to ask John McClain, the longtime guru of NFL media coverage with the Houston Chronicle, about the Los Angeles Rams free fall. Robert Woods' absence has hurt them, but they've lost three in a row. Matthew Stafford has gone from MVP candidate to uh, struggling quarterback. We'll find out what's going on with the Rams and much more. John McClain with us. Follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. He's with us on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. John McClain with us. We're talking NFL headlines this segment here on the network. And, Paul, we're going to discuss the game at Lambeau where – Green Bay wins again, and the Rams continue their free fall. Yeah, it's no huge shame, I guess, John, in losing to the hot Titans at home, losing to San Francisco, who's come alive, losing to Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. But put the three of those together and the way the Rams are playing and them having just made some more go-for-it moves and Matthew Stafford not playing well, and it sure feels like the Rams in their go-for-it season are, uh, are not getting there. They lost three in a row. When they played in Houston, they won – 38-22, and they were ahead 38-0. And when they left, I thought they were the best team in the NFL, and I don't think they've won since. You know, he traded for Von Miller and then Odell Beckham Jr., and they haven't done squat. And there's a lot of talk that Matthew Stafford is injured. It looks like he's gone back into his Detroit mode. You mentioned wide receiver Robert Woods going down for the season. He was a very valuable member of that offense, always willing to play second fiddle to Cooper Cup. But I thought their defense would be better. And they've got a chance to recover right now. They're still the second seed to the Packers in the NFC with uh, Cowboys. uh, Let's see. Let me look at that again. I'm sorry. They are the 
whoa, they're the fifth seed. I was looking at the wrong chart. The fifth seed, and they're falling fast. 49ers are coming on. Washington's coming on. They have winning streaks. They're right behind the Rams. And the Rams, if they don't turn it around soon, there's a chance they could lose the last game to the 49ers and miss the playoffs. And they're playing at Arizona, at Minnesota, at Baltimore, and San Francisco. That's four of their last uh, remaining games. They have Jacksonville and Seattle, two pushovers at home, you would think. But they could lose four more games. They don't seem to be mentally tough. They just don't. And maybe people always make fun of teams, the Rams especially, playing in Los Angeles, that they were they – were, uh, they're just not a – tough as an East Coast team, so to speak. But Sean McVay is a really good coach, and I'm sure they'll get it turned around. But, boy, the way the 49ers are pounding people with their running game, uh, man, they're just one game behind them. Could they possibly move into the second spot behind the Cardinals? It, it, man, it would be tough to fall completely out of the postseason if you're L.A., especially right now with seven teams getting in. Right now, either Washington – uh, Minnesota or Atlanta is getting the final spot in the NFC. And those are some bad teams. Yeah. LA's the at least got two better wins. Today, it would be Washington. Yeah, if they Washington's that today. last spot. That's right. Crazy. And all three of those teams I mentioned are five and six on the season. In the AFC, a bit more competitive for that final spot because the AFC West all of a sudden has a three way tie for second after what Denver did this past weekend and the fact that the Raiders won. So you've got. Uh, the Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders all battling for the final spot in the AFC, John. And right now, the Chargers have it, but that could change. You got Denver, the Raiders, the Colts. Colts are six and six. Cleveland six and six. There's no team competing in the AFC seriously that has a losing record. While all the teams competing for the last spot, including the one that has it, Washington have losing records. And I think this is a great time of the year, crunch time of December separate the contenders from the pretenders. It's always fun. A lot of times injuries have a lot to do with it as the Titans can attest. But, man, you've got to keep your quarterback healthy. And the only team that would be hurt, I don't think there's any team that would be hurt as bad as the Titans have been without a running back because usually it's quarterbacks the whole show, and we know not in Tennessee. Is there any chance that Derrick Henry could be back for the playoffs? There are competing national narratives on it, yes or no. Uh, if, if Nothing he, recent, If though. he does reemerge, you know, I, I doubt they're going to get anything like a full version of him. In, in mentioning Titans injuries, Monty Rice placed on IR today. Hutton, we've talked about this. The Titans' habit is to put guys on IR the day before their next game. That they're doing it with Monty Rice today suggests to me it's a serious injury, like a surgical injury. Well, they could also, when they do it today, they, it opens up a roster spot for them. They could sign someone during the bye week and get them ready. Yeah, but they could also sign that guy to the practice squad, which has been their habit, and then activate him on the Saturday when they do it, which has been their habit. So I suspect Monty Rice's injury is serious, and they're dwindling at inside linebacker. They're playing damn Dylan Cole there. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. Uh, John, let, let's go back briefly to the Chargers' loss and, and focus on the Broncos' win. If you would have told me a month ago at the trade deadline that the Broncos were going to be in contention for a playoff spot and that Vic Fangio was going to get that locker room 
going down a path like they were to begin the season when they played an awful schedule but won all their games to their credit. They started 3-0. and Right now, after the 28-13 win, lead, and they lead, they're leading the way by defense. I, I, I looked at Denver. I don't know if you did. I looked at Denver like I look at a, a Major League Baseball team at the trade deadline. Buy or sell, and once they sold, they were out. That's how I viewed it with Von Miller. Boy, was I wrong. And Teddy Bridgewater's not throwing the football in, in, in harm's way. He's not doing a whole heck of a lot more than that, but they're not turning it over, and their defense can get after the quarterback. Well, that's the key, especially this time of year. they got to run the ball, and they're still going to be looking for a quarterback, and I think they'll yeah. still be in the Sean Watson sweepstakes. But I still don't look at them as a legitimate playoff team, not with the roster. Now, they're coming off a great defensive game. If they can keep that up, because Vic Fangio's one of the all-time great defensive coordinators. But, man, I just – when you look at these other AFC teams and I think of them, I just – Man, I just can't see them getting in the playoffs over those others. But I agree. those AFC West teams, they still play each other a lot. The Chiefs have a brutal schedule. If they get through, if they get through their remaining schedule, which includes all their division rivals, they will have earned that division title. And Chad, they have the Broncos this week, speaking of the Chiefs, coming off a bye week where Andy Reid is excellent off of a bye. Yeah, no doubt. I want to say in the AFC also, uh, Frank Reich getting a lot of criticism for the Colts just abandoning the run game and Jonathan Taylor in the second half against Tampa Bay. John, what do you make of that decision-making and this Colts team right now who's who's sitting there at 500? Well, they scored 31 points. They jumped out to a big lead. Taylor ended up averaging, I think, 5.1 yards a carry. He gained 80-something yards. And uh, Carson Wentz threw three touchdowns, I think two interceptions. And so they got to where they were going into that game with Taylor being a major part of their offense. And I'm pretty sure they play in Houston on Sunday. Taylor will run it right down their throats like he did in the 31-3 to victory over the Texans at Lucas Oil Stadium. I have to give Wright credit. I, I saw a video clip of him. I don't know if you guys saw it, where he addressed this head-on. And part of what he said is they had six RPOs called during this stretch where Taylor wasn't getting the ball, where they wound up throwing, and they averaged seven yards a hit on those plays, which were, you know, in his eyes, run plays that turned based on the coverage into passes, and he'll take seven yards, a a quote-unquote carry on those plays anytime and that the RPOs are a big function of their offense, and that's why the play calling went the direction it did. I thought he did a nice job explaining it, and most coaches don't take the time to talk out what he talked out there, so I, I respected his approach. In, there some, in some cases, though, John, I believe in the, the RPO. I also believe in the run-run option, where I all think- I want the quarterback to do is figure out which direction the run needs to go and let the offensive line know and hand it to your best football player. Especially when you don't have to try to fool them RPOs based on deception. Frank Reich did that at Philadelphia before he came to head coach, and he's done a good job with it, but he's had Marlon Mack in the past. Now, Jonathan Taylor has been tremendous in his second year, and you got to ride him the way the Titans ride Derrick Henry, not as much because he's not as big and as durable and able to withstand the punishment that Henry can withstand. But, man, I would get him the ball, I'm not saying 30 times a game, but at least – 
20 times a yeah. game, and sometimes I'd throw him some short passes and let him work in space. They're just too inconsistent, the Colts. And that's the brand you put on a lot of teams right now in this season of parity, which we're liking. Uh, the product of parity is that teams are inconsistent. A lot of good teams, <clears throat> quote-unquote good teams, that, are inconsistent. But that, that's, that's just an easy excuse for the Colts and what happened. They had a 10-point lead. And their defense was playing well against uh, Tampa Bay, holding Tampa Bay to 14 points in the third quarter. Uh, it's 24-14. And at that point, they went 27 plays in between giving the football to Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and they put, they put the ball in Carson Wentz's hands up 10 against the defending champs. I, I don't get the whole, you know, teams are just inconsistent. The Colts were very consistent that day, and they handed that game away by not giving the football and running clock. They think Wentz is better than Wentz is, is part of, of the reason they're so inconsistent. You think they used to throw him a lot because of how much they gave up for him? But based on his play time, they're going to end up giving up yeah. a one instead of a two, another one. You think that has anything to do with it? I just think that Reich really, really likes him. Uh, they traded the, they obviously offered the most for him when they got him and uh, that he and Ballard think that he's better than he is and haven't really adjusted uh, like Hutton says to what the team has turned out to be and that, that that's a failing on their part John uh, curious to get your thoughts on Zach Wilson because you you have seen Mac Jones um, you have seen um, Trevor Lawrence, of Trevor course, Lawrence. with Jacksonville. I know you'll see Trey Lance, or at least potentially see Trey Lance, January 2nd, as the Texans will play San Francisco. The Titans haven't played San Fran either. What do you make of Zach Wilson firsthand compared to the other quarterbacks that are rookies this year that you've witnessed in person? He didn't do much. He was coming off a four-game absence because of his knee injury. He threw for like 145 yards. He had one touchdown rushing. They had one interception on a really stupid pass in which he was moving forward, and he tried to flip it to a guy who wasn't looking, and he hit him in the back. And the ball went up in the air, and boom, it was intercepted, and that was the only interception they had. So he did a good job not to, not to, be, not to turn it over. That was the main thing, and they were able to come back from a 14-3 to deficit and win 21-14, to but – he didn't have a whole lot to do with it. They ran for 157 yards. They did a pretty good job controlling the clock, but the Texans' offense was just terrible. Defense wasn't bad at all. Defense played well enough to win that game. So Wilson was, you know, not real impressive, and Mac Jones is by far the most impressive I've seen. Mac Jones got outplayed by Davis Mills. Patriots won 25-22 here. Mills had a 145 rating which was by far his best game, three touchdown passes. But uh, I saw Trevor Lawrence in the first game. I'll see him again in three weeks, and I'm sure he'll be a whole lot better. You know, uh, our view of Zach Wilson is clouded because we Wait, saw what? Zach Wilson at his, at his very best so far this season. Game of the year. When they beat the Titans. Yeah, um, he, he was fantastic. Then he got hurt. Now he's back, and he's uh, the time off. I know they were saying behind the scenes, like, oh, the time on the sidelines will help him. Like, he'll come back refreshed and he'll know the offense better. Doesn't sound like that was the case at all Sunday. He didn't make – if he made mental errors, we couldn't tell. They just didn't give him a lot of responsibility. And I think that was wise considering the circumstances. They relied heavily on their running game. And he ran for 157 yards, even though their starting back, Michael Carter, didn't play. 
I mean, it was unbelievable. And the Texans, uh, how bad the Texans were after winning that Titans game. It was the only time this year that the Texans have been favored, and it's the only time the Texans will be favored. And they couldn't handle, they couldn't <laughs> handle the lofty standards set by the odds makers. Are we watching the end of uh, of an era in Pittsburgh? The Ravens uh, are favored in Pittsburgh for the first time ever against mm. Big Ben. Uh, they looked old um, in losing to Cincinnati, which really felt – we use it too often like that it's a benchmark statement game that sure felt that way for Cincinnati. Um, and it sure feels like this is the end of the Roethlisberger era in, in Pittsburgh. It does. Everybody thinks they're going to have to get another quarterback. They don't have that quarterback on the roster. And it's amazing that they don't have a losing record. They're 5-5-1. Five, five and one. The way they're playing, you'd think they'd be in the running for the top pick. And uh, Roethlisberger looks like it's time to retire. He's not the same quarterback. They've had some injuries. That offensive line has not been anywhere near the same as when Mike Munchak was there and he left for Denver and players started leaving. They just can't run the ball like they have before. They drafted Najee Harris in the first round. I thought he'd be NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, but they just struggle to run. Big Ben's under pressure all the time. And uh, right now, you know, they're Cleveland has the injuries. But if Cleveland, Pittsburgh, you know, those those two teams, they just – Cleveland, you'd think, is going up based on where the franchise is after last season. While it's obvious to everyone – Steelers are on life support. And, and and you alluded to it there, John, but they brought him back, Big Ben I'm talking about. And to me, that that has to be the least surprising thing of the season is that he struggled and he's banged up. I, I think the, the, the fact that they've allowed over 900 yards of total offense over the last two losses combined and 82 combined points tells you what you need to know about their defense. Their defense and their run game – have been non-existent, which means an old, slow, banged-up, sore quarterback is not going to look all that great. And this has been fast. I mean, we were talking in the offseason. They were 10-0 and last year, right? Yes, they won 12 games last year. But remember, this tailspin started after they were, what, 11-0? and Didn't they start last season? 10-0. 10-0, I think 10-1. and Yeah, their first loss was after and 10 months. So it started then. But they didn't have Ben, so you could kind of understand it. And then I think, did he come back last year at the end of the season after he got hurt? And T.J. White's out now. He's in the COVID-19 protocols. They just can't seem to get their act together. And I'm wondering if Mike Tomlin, when he sees the contract that uh, Lincoln Riley got at USC, (laughs) if he's not thinking, maybe I should have considered that. Well, and speaking of him, you know, he's never had a, a record below 500, and I, I maintain they will finish the season 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. The tie to Detroit so will keep them from going under 500 uh, uh, for his career. And we get a 500 team in the first year of an odd number of games, yes. too. It's perfect. Um, John, uh, speaking of the Steelers, let's transition and discuss the Bengals, who put up 31 points on them in the first half. Joe Mixon set a career-rushing record. And he did that by the end of the third quarter against Pittsburgh this past week. What do you make of Cincy? Um, because, there, again, Paul Paul alluded to it. There's a lot of inconsistency in, in the AFC. They've won two straight. They've rebounded from some bad losses. And now they have a gauntlet stretch to finish the season. They've got the Chargers, uh, San Francisco. They're on the road in Denver. 
Then they get Baltimore, Kansas City oh. still remains on their schedule. It is a gauntlet stretch down the backstretch of the season for them. As I call it earlier, brutal. It is a brutal finishing schedule. Now, they've lost four games. Of those four games, three have been by three or fewer points. So they're really close to, to have won 10 games. With Joe Burrow playing the way he is, and Joe Mixon coming off his best game as a Bengal, they run the ball mm. well at this time of the year. They're going to be a factor. They should make the playoffs. Zach Taylor's doing a tremendous job. That's a coach that ought to be mentioned up there with Kingsbury and Belichick, not Matt LaFleur, yeah. but he has done a terrific job. I thought when he got hired, my God, he only got the job because he had he had known Sean McVay. Remember when all these sure. yeah. Sean McVay people, if you waved at him at an airport, he got interviewed. If you'd act on shaking hands with him, then you got hired. And that's how Zach Taylor got his job. But, man, that schedule is – of, of all the difficult schedules that the teams have left, that's got to be the toughest in the NFL. If they survive that, and they will be playoff ready. John, if you don't mind, uh, as we wrap up today, uh, your thoughts and memories of Curly Culp, who passed away at the age of 75 uh, after a, a battle with pancreatic cancer. He had just announced that he had stage four pancreatic cancer uh, this month, I believe, it was very recent when he made that announcement, passed away on Saturday at the age of 75, retired in 1981, and uh, pro football Hall of Famer, who you uh, you knew very well, you were friends with, and I know that you also uh, had him on our show multiple times over the years. Uh, your thoughts on Culp and, and the legacy he leaves behind? Twelve days before he died, he announced that he had pancreatic cancer stage four. We've known for about couple of months he had it and when you get it and you find out that late you don't have a chance he died on his 75th birthday on saturday curly was the best nose tackle in history and it's a great story i'd happen he was actually drafted by denver in the second round but because he's barely 6-1 with his shoes on they thought he's too short to play defense so they tried him an offensive line at guard he couldn't do it so they traded him for a fourth round pick Kansas City, they put him next to Buck Buchanan in their four-man front. They're both in the Hall of Fame, but Super Bowl four, they played Minnesota. Minnesota's Hall of Fame center, Meg Tangeloff, was, was all over middle linebacker Willie Lanier. Hank Stram told defensive coaches, try Curly over Tangeloff, see if he can keep Tangeloff away, if he can keep him away from Lanier. He did. A position was born. Now, I don't know why they made the trade that they did in October of 74. They traded Curly Cup to Houston in a fifth-round pick in 75 for John Matuzak, a defensive end, who never lived up to his lofty potential, and they used that pick on Robert Brazil. Culp and Brazil became cornerstones of this defense. Love you, Blue Aaron. Both are in the Hall of Fame. Follow John on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. John and Paul, both selectors for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. John in the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, from the media end of things there. Uh, John, thank you as always. We love having you on weekly. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, John. Take care. Guys, thank you very much as always. I look forward to seeing you next week. John McClain with us each and every week here on uh, the show. Coming up, uh, we have Quincy Carter. Quincy Carter joins us in 30 minutes. Uh, former Georgia quarterback. Looking forward to chatting with him. 
about the upcoming SEC championship game between Alabama and Georgia and much more. When we come back, we'll continue to discuss the college football headlines, the coaching carousel. And I, I mean, the list goes on and on here because as soon as Notre Dame hires someone, the next door is open. Who might that be? We'll discuss in Outkick 360. Live from 6th and Peabody, Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network, which includes Fox Sports Shoals, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Huntsville, Florence. We say hello to everyone there. Everyone uh, listening in Knoxville, Fox Sports Knoxville, and across the Upper Cumberland on Sports Radio 104.7. You can interact with the show on Twitter at Outkick360. You can also join the YouTube chat Hit us up on Facebook. Just search us out wherever you find the show, including podcasts at Outkick360. Uh, coaching Carousel uh, continues. Uh, one guy we, we failed to mention is uh, uh, Pry at Virginia Tech. Yeah, Brent Pry, Brent Pry. Um, who uh, was at Vanderbilt in, in Nashville with James Franklin and has been with him since 2016 as defensive coordinator at, at Penn State. Um, Highly thought of guy in coaching circles. Bit of an off-the-radar hire for Virginia Tech. Not the first name that people were bringing up. He has connections to them through like his graduate assistant program or something uh, with Beamer. Um, And and, and I think they it's clear they wanted to go with a defensive guy, right? But yeah, you have to – you're right. He was was a graduate assistant there from 95 to 97. You have Um, to go back a ways. Yeah, uh, Stephen Godfrey, a good friend of ours that covers college football, described it as, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, think of this as a Bud Foster who Mm. actually wanted to be a head coach. (laughs) That's how Virginia Tech should look at this hire. When Bud Foster was a hot name for years and years as a head coaching candidate under Frank Beamer, never wanted to be a head coach, that this is Brent Pry as Bud Foster, but wants to be a head coach. Brian Kelly has arrived at LSU. There are various reports... um, he either spent roughly 10 to 11 minutes speaking to his team at Notre Dame uh, this morning at 7 a.m. I don't know about you guys. I wouldn't have gone to that as a player, personally. Uh, 7 a.m. Um, yeah. For a coach Ooh. who's bolting. Or two minutes is the other report from two verified accounts from multiple sources. Um, I don't know how you depart a program properly anymore. Like I, I don't know how you keep it a secret it's not like you're supposed. I don't think they the coaches should go out and and acknowledge these rumors with their with their players. Like you know what, I am negotiating a contract with LSU. Uh, please stand by. It just doesn't <laughs> work do that it. way. Yeah. There's no perfect way to exit a program. Um, but you know, he sent a group text message to his team last night that apologized for the team learning on social media that he was going to be the next head coach at LSU. There's never perfect timing with this. If anything, uh, if anything could help. I think it would be, uh, and, and it's not going to work. It would not work. Uh, but the the wish upon a star idea would be to have like an open season um, coach's availability window to move when you don't have a season where you're waiting potentially to get into a college football playoff and your coach just bolts. Lincoln, like a, Lincoln it, it's, just, it's a terrible situation. It happens every year. It's recently happened to Notre Dame. You know, it's happened to a number of other programs already. It's happening to Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley's apparently didn't go very well either. Uh, the report in the Athletic that I read was that 
a bunch of kids were sitting around after his short meeting, and they're never long, in shock, you know, and not knowing what to do, well, you where to go, or, or, or I mean, anything. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, it's just think, the way it works. Think about all those guys from Tennessee that transferred there after last year, probably being sold. Hey. There's, there's a lot of upheaval stability in Knoxville. Here. There's going to be stability here in Oklahoma for your, your entire tenure. Not that I feel bad for those guys that left, but they're sitting there thinking, oh, thanks a lot, Coach. Now now what am I going to do? I'm here at Oklahoma, uh, and a big part of that was to play for you. I thought the funniest part about the Brian Kelly departure was in the text message where he said, and I quote, my love for you is limitless to the players. It's like a rom-com. And I, I, I'm thinking, yeah, limitless like my bank account now that just got better well, to leave you. <laughs> my love for you and my bank account. I mean, I'm, I'm only limited. half kidding when I say this. His love for them is limitless because he, he was just paid due to their great performance. Right. Yeah. Could also you know, how say, long ago? It was, what, two years ago he was on the hot seat? And people were, were, they were clamoring because Urban Meyer was mentioned then. Yeah. My love for you and the, uh, is limitless and the transfer portal is open. The transfer right. well, portal also <laughs> limitless. Uh, Trey Wallace had a great tweet where he said the live look at Notre Dame facility right now with guys entering the transfer portal, and it was the scene from Rudy where they're all turning in their jersey, one after the other to the <laughs> coach so. for Rudy. I don't buy for that. For Rudy. I think they're about to hit another out-of-the-park home run higher. Yeah, uh, that's, well, kids it's, need it's to Notre be patient. Dame. Well, like, and I don't be patient and wait for that. Here's what you got to keep in mind, too. Entering the portal does not equate to leaving the program. Right. Everyone who's got Put a coach limbo. leaving them – it does not hurt you to just enter the portal because then you, you can, can turn right around. And come as Hutton out. said, it, you know, about that, let's have a coaching open negotiation window. That, that's what that is. Let's see, if the, let's see how hot my name is out there. Put my name in. Th- there might be some offers out there I wasn't expecting, yeah. and I can explore it. You can always take your name out. It's free agency with the option to return, right? So if you're at one of these schools, I mean, I don't blame a kid who puts their name in the – you could always bring it out and stay – when they hire Luke Fickle, for instance, who I think would be a no-brainer. Luke Fickle also, to me, could come with Marcus Freeman. He brought Marcus Freeman to Cincinnati. They have a history. They're both Ohio State grads. I mean, I don't, it's not a slam dunk that he stays just for Luke Fickle, but could Luke Fickle's relationship with Freeman help keep him? And you have that package deal with Fickle head coach Freeman, defensive coordinator, rising star at Notre Dame. That's a great get so Freeman, if you're Notre Dame. And in that scenario, Freeman could conceivably be choosing between staying at Notre Dame well, he's as be defensive doing that coordinator way. or going to, to LSU for a very strong it's, defensive it's coordinator very, position. If he's not getting a head coaching position, that's a pretty strong spot to be in. Pickles did a great job at Cincy. Um, that goes without saying. But this is the first opening that I really feel like will be tempting enough to where there's, where there's smoke, there's fire. How does that locker room handle that this week, right? Oh, yeah. Because this is the first time when they've really got a little buzz. I'm speaking of fickle uh, with the potential of Notre Dame opening. That's the unexpected opening that has now happened that could upset the apple cart for Cincy just with momentum and locker room morale. I'm uh, I'm not saying he hasn't handled it well to this point. He has. But for the first time, don't you guys feel like this is an opening where there could be an announcement made or it could be the worst-kept secret in college football that he's the next guy? I also think that just the way Fickle is wired, he's maybe one of the few guys that would keep it quiet and or you wouldn't know anything until they're done, even a, a month, more than a month from now it's in a college football playoff. Still, though, there's distraction elements like Hutton saying, and Cincinnati's not just playing for Cincinnati. 
I mean, I know. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, they're right. playing. You, you would you would know because Notre Dame hadn't hired a coach yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody put it t- together. They're waiting on Fickle to be done in the playoff, but but right. you need to go take care of Houston, win your conference championship, which is not that big a deal in the big picture for your school, with what's at stake. You get in. I mean, they're, look, it, it's it's uncharted waters for them. They're they're in the college football playoff right now. The rating the rankings come out this evening. They're going to be in there. And on top of that, over the next 24 hours, there's going to be a ton of talk yep. about Fickle to Notre Dame. And for as long as that job's open until there's some declarative statement. Yeah, unless he pulls a Tomlin. Says, I'm not leaving. There is no booster in the world that can pay enough <laughs> to get me to leave my Cincinnati Bearcats. Never say never, but never. Quincy Carter will join us in 25 minutes when we come back. Headlines from across the country and locally right here on Outkick 360. Hang with us.